Thank you for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. Alas, now o'er the civilised world there hangs a gloom for brave General Gordon that was killed in Khartoum. He was a Christian hero and a soldier of the cross, and to England his death will be a very great loss. He was very cool in temper, generous and brave, the friend of the poor, the sick and the slave, and many a poor boy he did educate, and laboured hard to do so early and late. The inimitable poetic style of friend of the show, William McGonagall, um, whose great masterpiece on the disaster of the, the Tay Bridge, um, we've already featured on uh, The Rest is History in our 12 Days of Christmas episode. Um, and Dominic, the death of General Gordon, the archetypal Victorian hero uh, at Khartoum in Sudan on the 26th of January, 1885, was seen as a disaster fit to rank with the Taybridge disaster, wasn't it? Oh, a far greater disaster than the Taybridge disaster, Tom. The death of Gordon at Khartoum is one of the absolute emblematic moments of the Victorian era. Um, it's a, it's an extraordinary shock to Victorian Britain. It's one of the great media events of the Victorian age. And General Gordon is one of the absolute kind of emblematic martyrs of the British Empire, one of the most famous men in the world, I would say, at the point that he died. So, so, so fascinating you say that, because we, we've got a question from Stefan Jensen, another friend of the show, who's always popping up with his questions. I think he's been in abeyance recently, but he's, he's back. And he says, who on earth is General Charles George Gordon? What a thing um, to I, say, Stefan. <laughs> what a thing to say. Well, but, I mean, I, I, I'll be honest. I mean, I have a kind of vague sense of him standing at the top of some steps um, with uh, people with spears, getting ready to, to spit in the kind of famous archetypal image. But apart from that, I didn't really know a huge amount about him, but um, having, well, basically this week I've, I've gone down General Gordon shaped rabbit hole. Uh, I mean, they're really, really, it, it, it is a, a brilliant topic. And one of the things that is brilliant about Gordon is precisely what has happened to his subsequent reputation. So someone yeah. who is so famous is now not a name to play with by and large, but also Victorian hero, the archetype of a Christian Victorian hero, but then subsequently gets kind of um, skewered by Lytton Strachey in his um, his famous kind of famously feline volume of biographies of eminent Victorians. So what yeah. is it? It's um, it's uh, Doctor Arnold, Florence Doctor Nightingale, Arnold, Florence Nightingale, and Cardinal, Cardinal Newman? Manning, Cardinal Manning, Newman. one of the cardinals. Yeah. Um, so uh, the, the the question of um, how we're to understand Gordon, I mean, it kind of bleeds into the broader topic of how are we to understand the British Empire, all those, I mean, very kind of hot button issue. Yeah. Um, and it kind of also feeds into the broader theme, which is the, the question of how reputations over the course of history have evolved, how some people go up, some people go down. And we are going to be talking about that live are we not on, we are that's a very nice Wednesday. link tom we're doing a live much. show aren't we about reputations for rest is history club members now maybe not everybody listening to this will know about the rest is history club we may have some new believe. listeners 
Um, yeah, but maybe have new listeners, Tom, who who are attracted by the subject of General Gordon, and and you know we can open up to them the great vista of the rest is history club. So this is a club that you sign up to, um, costs next to nothing, I would say. Um, at rest <laughs> is history, rest is history pod dot com, and you get basically um, all the episodes without adverts. You get access to archive without adverts. You get um, you come on this splendid thing called a, the discord chat where people chat about history you get live streams with us and all kinds of goodies i can't remember what the other goodies are but um, i i seem to remember they're absolutely tremendous well the particular goodie that we're talking about in this context is um a live event on the question of reputation in history that's this wednesday the 26th of january at eight o'clock london time um and i'll tell you something else that you get if you become a club member is that if you bump into me as two people did this morning at a conference and you are club members you get a shout out so i'm going to give a shout out to james farrow who uh, is a friend of the show club member and ernie wakeford who is 13 oh and, that's and nice. a club member so that's that's splendid isn't it was this a hedgehog saving conference yeah, and stonehenge title opposing oh very yes. good Yes, all your all your all your causes all, yeah. wrapped into one. Absolutely. Um, so we should so, get back to General Gordon. Yes. Okay. So um, Stefan's question: Who on earth is General <laughs> Charles George Gordon? Dominic, do you want to give a kind of very brief resume of his career? Golly, well, if you were giving a very brief resume, you would yeah, say just a this. very brief one. He's born in 1833. He dies in 1885. Uh, Gordon is the, in some ways, for the British, the ultimate imperial hero. He um, sees action in this huge range of extraordinary places in the Crimean War. Uh, in China, he's present at the burning of the Summer Palace by British troops at the end of the Second Opium War. He then commands a small kind of almost paramilitary unit called the Ever Victorious Army in China, uh, fighting against the Taiping Rebellion, which is this kind of... Um, this this massive and incredibly kind of bloody war um, involving a kind of heavenly cult, um, which Gordon helps to defeat. He goes to the Balkans. He goes to um, the Sudan. Um, then he has lots of other kind of adventures. Um, and then he ends up going back to the Sudan um, in 1884. The Sudan is racked with war and rebellion. And with this kind of jihadi group led by a fellow called the Mahdi, who thinks he's kind of a prophet, a chosen one, paving the way for the advent of, I think it's the advent of Jesus, is it, Tom? It is, yeah. The return yeah. of Jesus. Um, and uh, Gordon ends up trapped in Khartoum, in the capital of the Sudan, in the, with the eyes of the world on him, and the Mahdi's army closing in. The British are desperate, finally, to rescue him, but they do they get there in time? Or well, we shouldn't, give the, no, we shouldn't no. give the end away, but basically there's a very dramatic denouement. Uh, and then after Gordon, after the story ends, Gordon becomes the, and I, I don't think icon is the wrong word. I think icon is absolutely the right word yeah. because he's a real, the key thing about Gordon, apart from all this amazing imperial adventure story, is he's a religious figure. He sees himself as a religious figure. He is apps, you know, he, he thinks about religion every minute of every day. And, and the religious side of him is, has fascinated yeah. people ever since. Yeah. So that that second verse by McGonagall, it, it highlights the the ambivalences in his life and in his reputation. So 
he was very cool in temper, generous and brave, the friend of the poor, the sick and the slave. And a key part of what he's doing in the Sudan is that he is fighting slavery. He is trying to abolish the slave trade. And this is something that he comes across very early in his career because he he gets uh, seconded to Armenia, which is on the kind of frontiers of, of the Ottoman Empire. And he sees there for himself the um, the slave trading, um, the obtaining of, of slaves from Armenia that the Ottomans are doing, um, getting slaves for, for, for Constantinople. Um, and that, so that is a theme that runs throughout his life. Yeah. And it's part of what, what's going on when he goes back to Khartoum. So he is kind of emblematically a, a figure who fights the slave trade. He is a liberal, he is the ultimate liberal imperialist, imperialist, isn't he? And actually, the funny thing about him is, as imperial heroes go, you were saying about his reputation dipping, but he's one of the, in some ways, I would say one of the least likely to be cancelled. Absolutely. And I think we will come, we'll we'll come to this. But there is then the second, the, the other last three or four lines. And many a poor boy he did educate and laboured hard to do so early and late. And this is what Lytton Strachey fixes on in his biography. It's what uh, Richard Davenport Hines in um, a, a recent biography of him, but kind of very short biographical sketch, describes him as a creep. Um, Gordon never marries. Uh, he is notoriously, he, he gets kind of He's very awkward with women. Yeah. Uh, but he does devote himself when he is um, in charge of the artillery at Gravesend in Kent. Um, he devotes a lot of his time to charitable works uh, and particularly working with raggedy boys, uh, boys who are um, starving, urchins. Yeah, urchins. urchins. Um, he lets them into his garden. He helps with their education. He provides places on ships um he he follows their, their careers with great interest um and of course go- this is seen as a work of great christian philanthropy but for Lytton Strachey and for Richard Davenport Hines it's seen as something altogether more sinister and suspicious uh and so that also is a part of the, it's part the complexity of, yes, the of his image, reputation isn't it? isn't it and on top of that there is a kind of uh, rumor that he was an alcoholic yeah. Where, so he, he, his, his life is very contested. And I think that everything that makes the Victorians contested is kind of summed up by his, his career. And you suggested this and I thought, oh, I don't know about that. But having, I mean, honestly, it's, it's a brilliant topic and I completely well, commend you for it. Well, before we get into it. the sort of narrative of it, Tom, um, there's a bit of a Hall of Mirrors um, side of kind of Gordon's career, isn't there? Because if you read, there are lots of biographies. If you read three different biographies, they will give you three different, three subtly different accounts of his life mm-hmm. and motivations. It's actually very hard to get to a true picture of Gordon, I think, because it depends so much on what weight you put on different people's statements about him, on statements of his own. And it also, I think, so that, that you talk about Lytton Strachey and eminent Victorians. I mean, I think so much of that portrait of Gordon is kind of self-projection, actually. Completely. Um, and <laughs> yeah, completely. Uh, I think it, you know, as we'll see with the sort of the helping the poor boys, you know, a lot of your interpretation of Gordon is on what you're bringing, you're bringing to the table, completely. I think, and your expectations. Anyway. Well, I, I, and I think that it, it also, uh, and it may not surprise you to hear me say this, I think it depends on how seriously you take Gordon's Christianity. Yeah, I think and and whether you think that Gordon's Christianity is a kind of screen for 
predatory sexuality or all kinds of things, or whether you think that he is sincere uh, and yeah, is, he means is sincere. It. So we so, can perhaps discuss that as we go. As we go so through. we will build up um, to the huge melodrama of the siege of Khartoum and the fall of Khartoum and the battle with the Mahdi and stuff. But maybe we should go into him, Gordon and his career first to give people a sort of sense of the of the background. So he's the son of a lieutenant colonel in the Royal Artillery. He's born in 1833 in Woolwich. He's brought up in a, a part of his childhood, Tom, in a place you know very well, in Corfu. In Corfu, yeah. Yeah, so he is. probably played cricket in Corfu, I imagine, as you have. Uh, well, and he then he gets sent to um, a school in Taunton, yeah. and the, um, the the playing fields of this um, school are now the cricket ground of Somerset County Cricket Club. Oh, that's always so nice. There's, to have a bit of... there's definitely a cricket link there, and um, Gordon was was a keen cricketer. Well, I'm glad so... I'm glad for you that this has happened because I did suggest this. And uh, I know you were a little bit uh, suspicious at first, but it's got Christianity and cricket. So basically, <laughs> yeah, I, I could have designed and, it. And Dominic, it's got yeah. eunuchs. Yes, Be- it has. Because he he um, he he made this fame. You know, talking about his his boyhood, he was quite a naughty boy, wasn't he? He, um, he was he, a prankster. He goes, a prankster. He's a prankster. He goes <laughs> yes. to the Royal Military Academy um, in Woolwich. So he's ran, but, but the Arsenal that gives its name to the football club um, signs up to the Royal Engineers. Um, but while he's there, he he seems to have started to have kind of religious promptings. Yeah, and he famously said later on in his, that that at the age of fourteen, I wished I were an eunuch. <laughs> yeah, that's a, it's an unusual. See, I I get this is the first example I think of something that where it's very hard to know how to interpret that. Did he genuinely wish he were a eunuch? Is he making a remark about? You know, he was struggling with kind of what he would see as sinful, lascivious longings. Um, you know, because obviously he's going through puberty at fourteen. Mm. What, what, what? How, how much weight do you? I mean, it's impossible to know, isn't it, Tom? What he means? Well, by I think, that? I think um, he, he clearly has kind of religious promptings. Um, they're, they're they're not dominating his life at this point, but they're clearly there, and. Yeah. I would guess the likeliest explanation would be that he is feeling urges to do things that are against, you know, Christian teaching, whatever that is, like, you know, having yeah. extramarital sex or whatever, or yeah. who knows, gay sex. I mean, who knows? Um, but then he gets, uh, he qualifies, doesn't he? And gets posted to, uh, to Pembroke yeah. um, to, uh, to be an engineer at the docks. And there he is born again. He is. He's born again. I, I seem to get the impression he's born again multiple times in his, or he goes through. Well, there are two, periods, I think. There are periods two kind of, of great intense, awakening. Intense, yeah, periods of intense religious awakening. This is the first he meets uh, a man called Captain Drew, I think, who's an Irish Protestant, who sort of seems to semi-convert him. And um, But this is, and, and it's the Protestant quality of it that is key, because it's this idea of the spirit descending of Gordon feeling a sense of personal redemption. Um, and in due course, he will have the sense that, you know, he's, he's born into Christ. Um, yeah. And I think everything about his life suggests that he takes this completely, completely. seriously. Yeah. So when Lipsy Strachey and eminent Victorians portrayed him as a hypocrite and a charlatan, I think that is utterly, utterly wrong. Because everything we know about Gordon suggests that he is 
completely serious about this. And, and there's this amazing, enormously. this amazing um, comment on him by by someone who knew him, a friend, that he is without the three strongest passions which make men good or bad: the love of money, the love of fame, and the love of women. And you know, those are kind of amazing. You know, the the, the it will be a theme throughout his career that he is utterly contemptuous of money. And whenever he's offered uh, the salary for, you know, as a, as a leading men in China or Sudan or wherever, he, he rejects it. And he, no, gives, gives he the shares money the money. Yeah. He shares the money out among people who need it more. Um, the love of fame. I mean, again, this has a kind of, you might think that someone who ends up the most famous man in the world, this would be a ludicrous thing to say. But again, he, he um, so when he's in the Sudan the first time, um, he has a, a kind of deputy who who he sends out to go and find a lake so that he won't have the glory of, yeah. of winning it. And he he gets, for, for his work on the frontier in Armenia, he gets elected a fellow of the Royal um, uh, Geographical Society. And then he turns it down because he feels that, that this will raise his profile too high. So again, I think that you can see that this is a genuine instinct. And so the love of women... Um, I mean, Lytton Strachey assumes that he's gay, which, as you say, may well be a reflection more of Lytton Strachey, who was gay, than uh, than Gordon, yeah. because it it actually does seem that that Gordon's shyness is around women. Yes, he's incredibly shy around women, uh, except for his sister, who he is. He got an older sister, I think, that he confides in. Um, but the, the repre- you know, the, the attempt to control his sexual needs are focused on women. Yeah, I think Rather, that's right. I, I mean, think I, um, I think it's, I think it's agree, pure but... speculation, the idea that he's gay. And and it goes hand in hand with all this stuff about the boys. But just because you are kind to small boys and educate them and are charitable, it doesn't mean that you ne- necessarily have sinister motives. And we should say that he's kind to small girls as well. And he's 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 very kind to um, to the elderly, too. Yeah, so, he's just an, he's he is. It's a really interesting thing, because, of course, now our instincts when confronted with Victorian philanthropy um, the sort of the cultural sort of expectation now is that it, it will be exposed as mere hypocrisy and um, yeah. it's all a, a cover for something else. But in Gordon's case, I think there's every reason to think it is absolutely heartfelt and genuine. You know, he, he doesn't do it for fame. He doesn't do it for attention. Um, the thing about his sort of sexuality that I think we can say is that he does have clearly some, he's one of these people who has a sense of, is discussed too strong this this sense of revulsion from his own body he yeah. talks later on about how well, he so thinks the, about the eunuch thing the how he thinks comment. the body is a mere sheath for your soul uh that will be discarded later on and he has but this, this is a very... kind of but, but but this is theologically bred as well so again the question of whether so heret, that's a heretical it's opinion. kind of gnosticism isn't it it or is it's like verging that. on gnosticism the idea that the body itself is corrupt i mean that's not what what conventional christianity teaches um, but he, do, he does hold to that because he's essentially self-educated as a Christian. And so he reads the Bible over and over again. Um, I mean, he has an incredibly rich knowledge of, of Scripture, but it leads him into kind of some faintly heterodox opinions. That's right. Yeah. And so the question then is, well, does he arrive at the heterodox opinions because that, you know, he's prompted by his sexuality to do that or vice versa? And I suppose we we live in a post-Freudian age where our instinct is always to assume that um you know, one's belief in scriptural scriptural theology is determined by one's sexuality, but I think that that's it's possible to overdo that. Yeah, I think what we can say though, Tom, is that um, 
when he meets people, particularly later in his life, I mean, they meet him and they're like, oh, you're Chinese Gordon. You're the fellow who commanded the ever-victorious army, this great adventurer. And, and then he just starts banging onto them about about um, his kind of heretical ideas. And lots of people at the time, not just subsequently, lots of kind of senior military people and they administrators, think he's, he's they think he's completely mad. Yeah. And this is one of the fascinating things about him, that even at the time people say, well, he's brilliant and he's a genius and he's incredibly brave and has complete integrity, but he's also a lunatic. Well, um, or a saint. Yes. And, well, and, and so the margins between mind. lunacy and saintliness, even in the Victorian period, are, are yeah. quite fine. So so uh, anyway, so, so that's a kind of general, I guess, kind of scan of, of um, Gordon's psychology. We've, <laughs> we've dealt with that in five minutes. Um, but... Before we come to the break, why don't we just um, get him to China? Okay. Because, so he, because it's it's in China that he first becomes famous. So his first big thing is when he's in his early 20s, he gets sent to the Crimea. Uh, and there he makes a name for himself. Um, he's very brave. He, he actually says later on, oh, I'd hoped to be killed when I was... I mean, it's hard to know how much this is true of him in the Crimea and the Crimean War. But again, I, again, I, and... So Strachey kind of casts that as a death wish. Yeah. But again, you can see that as bred of his understanding of theology. Yeah, so, because he thinks um, being it's the gateway to heaven, yeah. doesn't he? I so mean. so Garnet Woolsey, who he meets, who is a, um, also in the Crimean War, young Irishman, who will go on to become um, a, a very, very eminent general. And in fact, yeah. the man who leads the expedition to try and rescue uh, Gordon in, in 1885. And he says that um, life to Gordon was but a pilgrim's progress between the years of early manhood and the heaven he now dwells in, the home he always longed for. So I think it's perfectly possible to see Gordon's bravery and his his willingness to court death as an expression of his conviction that when he dies, he will be joined with the saviour. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. So anyway, he goes to the Crimea and there he kind of does this. He's a great surveyor and a kind of engineer, basically. So he will kind of crawl out of the trench and crawl close to the Russian trenches and sketch their forts. And he's brilliant at that. I mean, he's a brilliant kind of sketcher of opposition, of enemy positions and so on. Physically, he's he's not a kind of strapping person by any means. He's quite slight. Um, he's great. He's quite nondescript, except for these people talk about these piercing kind of grey-blue eyes. And people are struck by them even at the time. Uh, in the Crimea, he picks up his one big vice, which is cigarette smoking. Yeah, I didn't realize that cigarettes. <laughs> no, neither of us introduced knew this, Tom. at the Crimean War. Yes, we've both learned something from doing this podcast. <laughs> so yeah, that cigarette smoking became a big thing with the Crimean War. He becomes a complete addict. You know, he's a chain smoker. Um, so he's distinguished himself in the Crimea as a surveyor and as a kind of engineer, and he's then sent to the Danube to as to, as a surveyor to kind of help sketch out the the frontier between the Ottoman and Russian empires, the new frontier at the end of the Crimean War. Then, as you say, he's sent to Armenia where he slides down Mount Ararat. Did you see that? <laughs> That's right. Mount Ararat and sort of slides down it. I mean, that that perfectly captures the man, doesn't it? Because it's the yeah. combination of kind of but also he did, religiosity Ararat, and demented adventuring. But also Ararat, you know, Ararat is the, the mountain on which Noah's Ark is meant to have landed. But But Gordon doubts that. So this will also become a theme. Yeah, um, he, he knows he, better. He, <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, he's a great man for discovering biblical locations, isn't he? As, as we, we will find as out. We, as we will find out. And then, so he he has all these sort of adventures. He goes and meets Kurdish villagers, and he goes to, to Tbilisi, the capital of Georgia, and so on. And then in the autumn of 1860, uh, he goes to China. And China is in the throes of the most extraordinary convulsion. Well, Dominic, 
Let's take a quick break here. So, and when we come back, tell us what the great convulsion that's going on when Gordon arrives in China, what it is. We'll see you in a few minutes. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up is never a good idea. It can have terrible consequences. For instance, look at all the conflicts throughout history. I wonder how many of them could have been solved if they just talked things out. And Tom, I have a confession for our listeners. As you know, I've been really struggling with anxiety about the massive series that we've got coming on The Rest is History, all the prep we have to do for that series on the French Revolution, the First World War. I mean, it's all mounting up, isn't it? And when we talked it out, I felt so much better now that I got all those crippling anxieties and insecurities off my chest. If you want to talk, you can always talk to me. But if not, then I highly recommend therapy. It can help you learn positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It empowers you, Dominic, to be the best version of yourself. If you want to give therapy a try, why not check out BetterHelp? It's entirely online, it's convenient and flexible, and it's really easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and they'll match you with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash rest is history today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash rest is history. Hello, welcome back. We are talking Gordon of Khartoum, but before he became Gordon of Khartoum, he was known as Chinese Gordon. And Dominic, I interrupted you by going to a, a, a break. Um, you were telling us what the convulsion was that uh, China was afflicted by when he arrives. So China is a bit of a basket case in the 19th century. Um, it's involved in two different wars at once at this point. One is the Second Opium War. So basically the British and the French are trying to open up China and seize kind of treaty ports. And so they can flog them to, drugs. So they can, yes, they can, they can sell them drugs. Yeah. And, um, and that's going to culminate in the burning of the Winter Palace uh, in Peking, uh, Beijing, at which... Um, uh, that's 1858. In which Gordon is present, along with Sir Harry Flashman, who meets him at the end of the book, Flashman and the Dragon. Would you know this whole way through, I've been thinking that Gordon is a kind of upstanding he flashman he is because he, he is goes a, everywhere doesn't he yeah he has exactly he has that same kind of trajectory where he just keeps popping up in these strange places but he, pr- um, he very strongly disapproves of the burning of he doesn't approve of it at all and actually in the um in the flashman book he's there as a sort of pale um eyewitness he just comes in briefly but you're right he, he doesn't really approve of this and he, I mean, did, he a, disapproves of the french looting yeah the looting uh, was just shocking like looting yeah so all these kind of things that um that people now hold against the British Empire. So he's the not, idea of, of looting stuff. Of, yeah. You know, we hear a lot about with reference to, to British museums holding imperial loot. Uh, this isn't entirely a 21st century perspective. It's uh, Gordon had that perspective as well. Yeah, I mean, snowflakes like Gordon were complaining about <laughs> it in there. <laughs> Sorry, yes. Tom, you walked into that one. Right. Um, but that's not really the big story. Oh, extraordinary no. as it may seem. The big story is the Taiping Rebellion, which is more your kind of thing, Tom, because it's mad Christianity. It is. Do you want to tell uh, us about to... the Taiping Rebellion? So the Taiping Rebellion is, I mean, carnage. Um, a guy called um, Hong Xu Quan. I hope I pronounced that. That's beautifully done. Some, uh, some approximation to, um, to how it should be pronounced. Um, essentially decides that he's the younger brother of Jesus. 
and for very complicated reasons that I would need to spend more time in the Bodleian studying. Basically, the whole of China goes insane and agrees with him. Uh, and the Taipings, as they're called, um, the Qing dynasty is absolutely up against it because of the uh, the Opium Wars and general kind of dissitude. Um, the Taiping Rebellion is is a murderous, horrific, bloodthirsty process of civil war. But it's also a kind of religious crusade, isn't it? Kind um, of. And so, and so a lot of people in Britain think that it's... Um, Protestantism coming to China, and so there's there's quite a lot of enthusiasm in Britain for the Taipings, um, despite the fact that they're basically murderous and, and. Well, could you not see Tom? Could you not see the Taiping Rebellion and the the, the creation of the Mardiist kind of state in the Sudan? They're both places where Christianity and and Westernization and modernization and imperialism have arrived with with a great shock in the kind of yeah. mid Victorian period. And kind of traditional structures have been splintered, and these are ways of trying to to react. To well, that. and and you know who pointed that out was actually Strachey. So Lytton Strachey drew the analogy between um, Hong Shikuan and and the Mahdi. Um, oh, I'm disappointed to find that I'm in the, the both, same. They began both began as religious reformers, ended as rebel kings. Right. Well, um, I, mean, I wouldn't have thought of us as similar people, but clearly. Litton but specifically, the issue for the for, and why the British and specifically Gordon get sucked into it is that the Taipings are menacing Shanghai. Yeah, and the bankers and merchants there, European merchants, basically raise their own little army, the ever victorious army. Which is I mean, the name, name of it makes it army, sound, isn't it? It makes it sound absolutely fantastic, but actually, it's a really <laughs> ragtag, shambolic band of kind of mercenaries and drunkards, and it's commanded by this American guy called Frederick Townsend Ward, who does seem to be quite. Doesn't he? He wears a frock coat, and he said, "I think he's quite a dashing figure." Uh, Frederick Townsend Ward. He meets Flashman and Flashman and the Dragon, um, but he's killed, I think, and his successor is a French American adventurer called Henry. I don't know how to pronounce it. Bergvine, Bergvine. I don't know. Anyway, he's a complete drunkard, um, and so they boot him out. The the sort of the bankrollers of the ever victorious army. It's quite small. It's only about five or six thousand people. They boot him out. Mostly Chinese, right? Yeah, lots of them. Not all Chinese, but yes, mostly mostly Chinese. Exactly. Um, They boot him out and they want somebody else um, to do it. And basically they ask around who's around in China and the British give them Gordon. Gordon. And it shows that the ever-victorious army is probably better known than it should be in some ways because it's quite a small outfit. And the reason they... The fact that they give them Gordon tells you it's not that important because Gordon has actually never led an army into battle before. I mean, he's an well, engineer he's a, he's and a surveyor. Yeah, he's an artilleryman, isn't he? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So he doesn't really know what he's doing, but he turns out to be very good at it, to be good at commanding. Well, because because there are lots of um, rivers and canals and all kinds of stuff. And so an ability to draw maps, yes. which Gordon's they, very good at. And they're all is, sort of steaming is, up and down rivers yes. and stuff like this. But also he's very strict, isn't he? He's a complete disciplinarian. He bans hard liquor and so on. And he, and he has takes this... his pay cut and he gives it to his troops. But he has this extraordinary persona where he... So he always goes into battle smoking a cheroot. Um, and he carries a cane. And unarmed. Yeah, he... exactly. He doesn't. He goes in unarmed. He carries this cane, doesn't he? What do they call it? His magic baton or something. I can't remember what the... Well, so again, Lytton Strachey, who, you know, we've said is a, a bit of a bitch. But actually... Yeah. Um, <laughs> Saying about Gordon, he seemed to pass through every danger with the scatheless equanimity of a demigod. 
Yeah. It's a very impressive – I mean, this is very impressive stuff. It's very cool, isn't it? Um, you know, at one point, the artillerymen mutiny because he won't let them loot, and he just – he manages to kind of brazen that down. out. Then Which, again, uh, is a, a kind of something that happens throughout his career. Yeah. Is that, you know, he fixes those gleaming blue eyes and people just crumble. People are always – he's always going into – situations where lots of armed armed men want to (laughs) kill him and he turns up with his cigar (laughs) and they and they all just sort of say his love of jesus because it all works his sort of sanctity his it it is like a kind of protective kind of veil isn't it do you not think Mm. i mean people don't quite know what to make of him and And i think both both the chinese and and in due course um people in the sudan are stunned by his chastity as well so the sense of him as yeah, I kind of, you know, a demigod is Strachey's word, that this is someone who is very, very unusual and has a kind of almost supernatural quality to him. Um, and that, combined with his military, evident military talents, means that, that basically within 18 months, he's won an absolutely crushing victory. Yeah. Taipings have all been booted so the, out. So the Taipings are defeated um, by the Imperial Army, um, the sort of Qing Army, plus the ever-victorious army. Now, I think... The role of the ever victorious army is probably a bit inflated, and that certainly Chinese histories don't give it as much weight by any means. Well, but isn't that partly Westerners because do. the Taipings get are, are seen as precursors as the communists? That's right, Tom. That's right. But actually, when you look at the numbers involved, you know there are there are hundreds of thousands of men and sort of on various armies in the field. It's it's implausible that Gordon's little band is well, the ex- single ex- decisive factor. But ex- I do except think except that he gets this this incredible distinction yes the yellow jacket uh which is uh, only 20 mandarins in the whole of the empire have it yeah and gordon gets given it so the order of the garter isn't it it's the order of the garter of china basically yeah and Um, and i think he's the only non-chinese person to have it yeah um and so i think that that is you know one can take the revisionism too far maybe it was clearly seen by the chinese themselves as incredibly impressive um and so he's what uh, 30 by this, this point. Yeah, he's about 30, isn't he? Um, um, and so he's he's been given <laughs> this this incredible award by the Chinese emperor. He's commanded an army and then he has to go back to England. And he's unbelievably famous and he hates it. He hates the fame. He hates what, the look, celebrity. And what happens to him? He spends the next six years basically rep- repairing forts in Gravesend. And, and helping out. So he sent to Gravesend, which obviously was had always been, yeah, because of its importance, sort of naval, sort of coastal importance, had always been very heavily defended. And they they basically say to him, go and sort out these forts, and you know, modernise the defences and stuff. But he knows as well as everybody else, they're never going to be used. It's never going to happen. I mean, it's a complete waste of his time. Um, I think they. So just he gets know. up early, doesn't he? he? Has a cold shower. Yeah. Then he goes reads out and Bible. does good. Reads yeah. the Bible. Um, goes and supervises the fort, and then he spends all his afternoons doing good. Yes, and clearly he's a bit. Uh, there must. There the, the clearly is some point at which he's feeling a bit miserable that life has or fate has turned against him. He doesn't know what to do with himself. But then he goes to a dinner party. Do you see this? He goes to a dinner party in Greenwich, um, and and as luck would have it, while he's dressing for dinner, his gaze falls on the open pages of the Bible. <laughs> Yes. Uh, so he's a, he's a man who reads the Bible while dressing for dinner, basically. And he sees um, the first epistle of St. John, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And on, on seeing this, he's kind of tra- a man transformed. Yeah. 
he says, gosh, all I need to do is believe in Jesus as the son of God. I mean, it's sort of real evangelicalism, isn't it? And it's from and, that that his philanthropical yeah. exercises proceed. And he becomes very excited about the philanthropy. So in Gravesend, he sets up this little sort of, it's almost like a school, isn't it? They have mm-hmm. they meet twice a week. Um, he teaches all and these boys. he calls boys. the boys uh, wangs. Is, <laughs> yeah. Now, that which, might sound... Again, my, may, uh, now, may raise eyebrows. But he calls wangs. them his wang because in China... The, the gen, a sort of a, a general or a chief was called, a warlord was called a wang. And so yeah. he had wangs in his yeah. ever victorious army. And so that could be misinterpreted. And the boys, obviously, you can imagine the boys probably think it's hilarious and brilliant that they've been called wangs. And he does, he, he, they, they do have prayers. They sing hymns. He gives them bread and soup and stuff and they do their lessons. And then he places them in work. So he ships, put, doesn't he? In often? ships. So there'll be a ship's boy and, and all this. And he has a big map, as you said at the beginning of the, of the episode. Mm-hmm. He has this big map and, um, every night, you know, he and his, his wangs gather around and they, he gets one of them to, to chart where the other boys, you know, the old boys are on the map. I mean, I think that's all actually pretty sweet and, well, admirable. I think it, you've got to take, you know, do you take this being born again? This, this sense that God's grace has come upon him seriously, or do you not? Well, and in, I, in 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 um, John is it John Pollock? Yeah, John Pollock's book, Gordon, the Man Behind the Legend, a very kind of admiring biography of Gordon. He has quite a lot of quotes from the old wangs. boys of the Gordon Academy, yeah, ex Wangs, who basically say Gordon changed my life. You know, I owe him everything. It was wonderful. He was well, such a great man. You know, all this sort of stuff. So, um, I mean, it's not Jimmy is, Savile. Let's put it that way. Well, there's, there's, um, actually this, the week that this is going out. So I think I can't remember whether it's on, um, the day of his birth, 28th of January or his death, 26th of January, but there's, um, there's a ceremony at Gravesend, um, in front of the statue of him there. So he's still remembered there. That's nice. Um, yeah, it is nice. I think, um, anyway, so, so we're not being cynical about it we no i i i'm definitely not cynical about gordon i i think gordon is at this point you a christian say, hero it, well he's he's he, the philanthropy is incredibly impressive i think yeah. um i mean i wouldn't do it myself because but, but, because uh, of course not you can... <laughs> i'm far no. too selfish and lazy of course, I mean, you keep no the money, intention of doing you keep it, the money. Yeah. but he's being paid quite a lot and he gives it all away um yeah. as he does throughout his entire life uh, do you know what dominic we've we've um we've spent 40 minutes we haven't got very far. Well, so Gordon's great phrase, inaction is terrible to me. So he's, <laughs> he's been to China. He's been in Gravesend. He's, you know, uh, hanging out with the Wangs. Um, now comes the point where he goes to the country that will really make him famous, which is the Sudan. And so tomorrow we'll, we'll come back um, and we will uh, talk about Gordon's career in the Sudan, the two times that he goes to that country. If, however, you are... Um, a member of the Rest is History Club. You don't need to wait because you can listen to the whole thing today. Incredible value. So <laughs> great, uh, we will um, see you in 30 seconds if you're a member of the Rest is History Club. Uh, and we'll see you tomorrow if you're not. We should call them our wangs. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Uh, if you're a wang, you can go on listening. <laughs> if not, too bad. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, 
and access to our chat community, please sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. <laughs>